This is an ABA podcast with two BAs and, and no BS. This is two BAs on a pod. Hey everyone, welcome to Two BAs on a Pod. We have our very first guest today for episode two. We're meeting with Denise. She's been helping women get out of abusive situations since 2014. She's a transformational love coach, and she has 22 years of experience, personal experience with narcissists, getting out of narcissistic relationships. And her primary population is women and helping them get out of those toxic relationships and find true love. So we're super excited to talk with Denise today. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Yes, yeah. absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Objective Outcomes. If you're tired of fad diets, yo-yo dieting, and quick fixes that don't last, you should start a sustainable, behavior-based personal training that is primed for lifelong changes to promote a healthier lifestyle. You can find us at objectiveoutcomesaba.com. Also, if you are seeking remote supervision and interested in the application of ABA in health, sports, and fitness, we offer supervision for unrestricted hours, monthly group supervision where you can meet others on the same track as you. You can find more at objectiveoutcomesaba.com. Before we get into the conversation, um, we do do something. It's called um, EOAO of the week. So... Since the last time we spoke, I did mention that I am a behavior analyst and I work in applied behavior analysis. So that's kind of the theme of the podcast. So we just kind of want to stick to the theme a little bit and then just real quick on what EO and AO means. So establishing operation basically means what is motivating you um, and then abolishing operation is like what is like kind of like taking away that motivation. So each week we're going to be checking in like what's our EO and AO for the week. Um, So me and Ashley will go first and then we'll ask you um, what's motivating you for the week and what's kind of like dampering that motivation. Uh, So Ashley, what is your EO this week? This week, my EO would be that I finished grad school. So I feel like I've kind of been on like a high since that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, It just feels good. Um, I feel like it's like something I got to check off the list. It's starting to make me feel motivated to start studying and just to start doing more things. I I was feeling a little bit like I was drowning and stuff last week, but getting that off my plate is starting to make me have like better perspective and getting more excited for things in the future. So that's definitely my EO. But my AO would be, it's kind of already passed, but I've just had to spend a lot of money on things these past few days. Mm-hmm. And that has made me like stressed and just have some negative private events. So thoughts and emotions. I had to buy all new tires for my car. Oh then my I, gosh. Yeah. Then I paid for the study notes ABA collective, which I was super excited to pay for But because I had to pay for my tires, those two were like similar in price. So I spent like $1,500 in 48 hours, which I never do. Yes. And then I signed up for a half marathon in November and that was like $230. So I was just like spending a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. So like that was definitely my AO because I just feel like even though I'm okay, like I've gotten to a point where financial stability was a huge goal for me because of like my childhood and stuff um, that I'm there. But like just seeing it go, is like like anxiety. So that would be my AO for sure. Okay. Yeah. I I hate dropping tons of money. I totally get it. Yes. It's the worst. (laughs) 
So for me, I actually, my EO this week is the good weather. So I'm in California and it's starting to warm up and um, I do have like some, like some type of like seasonal depression in me. So when it's like cold and rainy, I dip, my motivation levels definitely dip. So when I get the sun and I'm able to like really, like this morning I went on a walk and it was beautiful. I didn't even need a jacket. It was so beautiful. Seven o'clock in the morning, uh, I saw the sun rising and that was just so, it was just so motivating and I just feel so grounded and connected when the weather is right. Um, so that's definitely like an E getting me excited for spring and summer coming up, my favorite season. So that is definitely motivating me. An AO, I really don't feel like I have some anything that's killing my motivation this week, except that's I guess good. the ten- yeah, I, everything's so exciting because we have our three podcasts that we're recording. I know. Um, we have our group supervision tonight, which I love doing group supervision. So I really yes. don't have a really big AO this week, except maybe just doing all the work. I guess the reports I have to do for my company, um, for ABA, we do have to do reports for insurances. So that's right. a little bit of an AO. I did have to speak to like an insurance rep and talk about the template. I hate talking to insurance reps. Yeah. They're so annoying when it comes to like the templates on our, our reports. So I guess that would be my AO is dealing with like report writing, the boring stuff of my right. job. But it's good that like your EOs are so high that that stuff yeah. is kind of like weighed out. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a good. net positive. Right. Exactly. So Denise, what is your EO this week? What is motivating you uh, for the week? I would say I've been having a rocking month. So I went into my, um, my coaching group where I'm the client and I shared very vulnerable with them, vulnerably with them and, um, felt so comfortable doing it. I've come a long way with vulnerability because that was such a thing for me. And then just showing up and being myself and got real positive feedback for all and and also even sharing like all my wins because that's a, something that I would never do before, right? Because I'm bragging or I'm, you know, putting right. myself out there and what are people going to think and all of that. So that's really motivating for me. I mean, there's just a lot of sequences that have been happening this month that have just been so like off the chart amazing. I'm so excited. That's great. Um, yeah, for my business and for my every just everything. And um, I guess the AO, I, I really, I was thinking about when you ladies were talking and I was like, Shh. I would probably say the weather. I, I do the okay. same thing with the weather. So I'm originally <laughs> yes. from Miami. Uh, oh, South I'm Florida. from there. Yeah, really? Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I love hot weather. I love yes. sunny weather. I love like no clouds and just... So when we get like, like today, it's kind of cloudy and like, bleh, I yes. get like, ugh, I don't even go out of the house, you know? Like so yeah, yeah, I would say the same thing. When the weather is amazing, I'm like, yes, let me go sit under a tree and hug it and mm-hmm. talk to it. <laughs> yeah. And when it's like gloomy, I'm like, yeah, yeah right. ex- exactly. It's so crazy. Like p- people like think it's like, like, whoa, whoa, but it's so true because we are like, we're creatures. We're animals. Like we are we're definitely energetic. affected. Right. Yeah. Yes. We're definitely affected by our environment. I mean, that's where the basis of ABA is. We're affected by our environment. So the weather is definitely right. a variable in our in our life. So I am the happiest when it's nice, sunny, and hot, and I'm able to get outside. I'm able to wear short sleeves. 
Um, and then, yeah, I don't do well. I could never live in Oregon or <laughs> Seattle. Yeah, Washington. Yeah, there's – I I think I there's never studies do done with depression, the connection from depression and the weather in those types of states. The, the, the numbers are higher. Yep, yep, that's absolutely true. So, yeah, I am so definitely crazy. with you on that one. It is – Okay, cool. All right. That was that was good. So just so excited to talk to you. We're going to try to connect this as much as we can to um, applied behavior analysis. So if we do stop you, um, you know, midway, we're going to just make a, a quick connection. But yeah, right. we're going to just t- talk as organically as possible. Okay. So our first question that we have for you, can you explain the most common behaviors of a narcissist? Like what are the, the top signs? That's great. Like when you're talking about behavior, I could totally connect this because narcissists, they have a certain behavior and they're all the same. Like when I post or I do emails and people are like, gosh, it seems like they're, they have a certain behavior. I'm like, absolutely. Yes, they do. And I always share like one of the first processes of healing is educating yourself on those behaviors because that's going to tell you everything. So when you ask me that question, Alex, the first thing that um, showed up in my mind was blame. They blame mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. or everything for their life. They they take zero responsibility for their life and things that happen. So for example, um, I always throw this out there. I don't know why, but like, for example, if, if somebody's like, oh, I couldn't go to college. So I have a crappy job because I couldn't go to college because my parents couldn't afford it. You know what I mean? Like they just mm-hmm. blame every situation when you're in a relationship with them, everything is your fault. And the victims in these types of relationships, they start to believe that and they start to victimize themselves in the relationship because they've heard so many times, well, it's your fault. Well, I cheated because, you know, you did or didn't do X, Y, and Z. And that's why I went and did, you know, the toxic behavior. So blame is is one of the, the biggest ones. And also they, with blame, they put themselves in a victim mentality. This is another huge red flag, a behavior that narcissists put themselves in. It's a red flag for people to, to see. They put themselves in a poor me situation. Well, I couldn't go to college, so poor me. Um, and then the blame. So they they coincide with each other, the blaming and the, and the victim mentality. Right. So I would say that this is a lot of like verbal behavior more than anything. It's like obviously overt. So for us, that means right. behavior that we can see and we're aware of in the actual environment, but it's a lot of verbal. It's not, well, maybe it starts there. <laughs> maybe it gets physical. I hope not, but it could possibly. It can, oh, yes, But it, sure. begins, it begins with a lot of verbal behavior um, mm-hmm. where they're kind of trying to get everybody to feel bad for them, but then also yes kind of just like shift any accountability towards anything to other people. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and awful. then yeah. just just as you were talking, Denise, like just to bring it back to ABA, I was thinking like, okay, what is maintaining that blaming behavior? And it's probably negative reinforcement, right? They're they're escaping all accountability. So um, they're able to get out of these situations and kind of justify their own and validate their own feelings by just putting the blame somewhere else. They don't have to take accountability. They don't have to change right. their actions or change their behaviors because it's so easy just to put the blame somewhere else. So yeah, that's a, that's a really great sign to be aware of. If you know, I can just think of like five people in my family right now that do this <laughs> all the time that are just constantly blaming 
um, blaming other people on their situations. Um, I, I mean, I have someone really close to me that just recently he had a drug overdose and I told his son and his, um, the baby mom, the ex-wife, I was like, this is what happened. There's a drug overdose. You should be aware of this because it's like, it's pertinent to the, my, you know, the relationship with the son and the blame went on me. Like, why, why did you tell my right, ex-wife, right. this is a custodial issue. I'm cutting yeah. you off. And it was like, if I was in a more vulnerable state or like less self-aware, I would be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I, you know, I, my fault, I totally, I totally apologize. But now as, you know, grown adult that's been through some things, learned some, learned some things. I'm like, no, this is not on me. Exactly. You're the one that had, you're the one that had the drug overdose. You're the one that you did this to yourself. We almost thought you right. died. And you're putting the blame on me because I told your ex-wife who should know about this because this is right. your son safety. The, the baby's <laughs> safety, exactly. This is yeah. The, exactly. Yeah, this is this is the safety of the kid. Yeah. So like yeah. that's just like the first thing that came to mind is the blame. And I totally understand because I've been in situations where I like take on that blame and I feel super guilty. But yeah. right. now I understand, like, no, this yeah. we're not we're not placing blame anywhere else but yourself. Take accountability. Right. And there's also right. people in the narcissist's life that also go with the victim mentality, right? Yep. So, so some, not always, but sometimes the mom of, or one of the parents of the narcissist feels sorry for their child, yep. no matter what age. And so they go and join in on the poor me and yep. justify their behavior by well he had a he had a rough you don't yep. understand he had a rough upbringing yep. or they just make excuses they call them flying monkeys right. um yep. in the narcissist life and they they defend the narcissist toxic behavior mm-hmm. yeah yep so there's those people too it reminded me because my mother is a narcissist and I don't speak to her. <laughs> but when I was a child, I did that like so much where I was like, oh, my poor mom. My mom grew up poor. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's dad was abusive because he was a drug addict. Like I would do right. all these things. Mm-hmm. And then as I grew up and I realized like, oh, my God, she was like priming and manipulating me my whole right. life to feel mm-hmm. bad for her. And as I got older and I started pulling away from that and telling her like, OK, well, my childhood was rough because of you as well. Like, mm-hmm. You were very abusive to me. But I chose to take this route. Like you kind of have to grow up and like figure it out. Exactly. That's when our relationship just diminished because it was like how like, – and then I was being told I was a narcissist and I was being told <laughs> I was selfish. And then it, it's like the blame just shifted over to me and I was like, all right, yep. cool. Bye. <laughs> That's my exactly. favorite one. When you call out the narcissistic behavior, right. then you're then you're the bad one. You're right. the narcissist because you're cause you're speaking the truth because you're pulling it out and you're going, look, this is X, Y, and Z. This is the behavior. And it's true. Right. And then you're mm-hmm. the bad one. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the best one. <laughs> yeah, just, some, just some, some backstory. Like me and Ashley, we are so excited to talk to you because we both been in these relationships. We right. both had pretty um, rough upbringings, which I think connects us, our energy, because we both – we can yeah. relate to a lot, of the, a lot of the craziness, a lot of like – just the not having the the best the best upbringing, so that's what can that's kind of how we relate. And I think mm-hmm. that you know manifested in different ways. Um, like for me, I think we both had toxic relationships, right, Ashley? 
Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. So not only was my mother a narcissist, but I was in a relationship with yes. one. And I feel like it's because I was raised by one that I absolutely <laughs> I gravitated yep. towards one for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So I exactly same with me. I, I was in a, a pretty abusive relationship for two years. And yeah. looking back and like to the woman I am today, I'm like, how did I put up with such with such right. behavior? Like, how was I able to just like accept that but it is because it was kind of modeled to us like this is the yeah, standard it's familiar this, yep it's familiar this is like the our baseline like okay this is how this is what love looks like exactly. so it does it does definitely take a lot to kind of unlearn those behaviors um because when you right. are when you grow up with that and you see this is what it's supposed to look like you are going to just kind of recreate that in your adult life so it's like Ashley was saying, when we're growing up and we see this as a behavior, we don't know it's not normal. We think it is normal because if all you've ever had is a mom or a dad or both who act this way, how do you know any different when you've never been shown anything different? So you grow up into adulthood and you attract, it's familiar to the unconscious mind, you attract the same types of behavior in other people because it's all you've ever known. You've, you've seen mom and dad in a domestic violence relationship and dad is hitting mom and abusing her and mom's crying. Well, how do you know that's different? How do you know that that's not normal if that's all you've ever seen? Then you grow up and you're like, okay, that was screwed up. I don't want to uh, repeat that. But unconsciously, because it's familiar, that's exactly what we do. I was going to say, and when you see like relationships on TV that are normal, it's like so distant that you could never, you can never put yourself in those shoes because it's just like, that's, that's not right. That's a fairy tale or, or I don't deserve that. That's not going to be my relationship because that's not what I grew up to. So you definitely get these kind of, um, these self-beliefs kind of ingrained in you. And it, it definitely takes some work to understand that you do deserve true love as I'm sure we'll get into more Absolutely. of these. Yeah. This question wasn't even on our list, but as you were talking, I thought like, is it possible or is it common for two narcissists to be in a relationship together? Cause I would imagine that that's probably a big no, but when you said like <laughs> mother and father, I'm like, Oh my God, that poor child, like imagine having both <laughs> parents. Yes. But like, is that common? It is possible. One one person has to step down and surrender to the right. other person. So you could look at it this way. One person is more toxic than the other. But yeah, two right. toxic people can be in a relationship together. And or it could be one is a narcissist. One grew up with narcissistic um, environment and, they, and they've taken on those narcissistic traits, but they're not a full-blown narcissist. So yes, there's like a lot of variations of it. Um, but yeah, you, my son was in a relationship with a narcissistic, um, girl cause they're young. Um, right. and he's a narcissist, but she was even more toxic than him. So I noticed in their relationship, he would step down and kind of surrender to her behavior, so to speak. Um, because she was just so like more dominant right, yeah. than he was. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I guess oh, that kind scary. of, a, a, I know, it's kind of a follow-up question because we were asking like, what are the behaviors of a victim? Which I, you kind of answer that, that they, they kind of allow the, the blaming, they kind of take the victimhood mentality. Mm -hmm. 
you said the word flying monkeys. Is that like a codependent person? Yeah, it's yeah, there's when I started all of my healing journey and and talking about this, there's like a whole language for narcissists. There's like yeah. all these <laughs> languages, right. love bombing and and covert and overt and all this stuff and I was like, wow, there's like a whole dictionary on them. So, yeah. flying monkeys is basically what I was saying. It's the it's the one who defends the narcissistic toxic um behavior. It's the one who mm-hmm. s- makes excuses or sticks up for the narcissist. My dad <laughs> yeah. My dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Justifies yeah, it. Sure. And like yeah. Ashley was saying, they, they've been groomed. So they don't even know. Right. Mostly they don't even know like, oh, my son is, you know, or whoever is X, Y, and Z. They mm-hmm. do because they love that person and they can't right. see it clearly as what it really is. Yeah. No, well, sure. that's how they love. That's how they show love um, yeah. is, is that way because, I mean, I had to talk – because I, my family member, I have like a whole, I don't know if it's genetics or it's just behavior patterns, but I have a lot of these people in my family and I have to right. talk to my, my aunts and, you know, people older than me telling them like, look, we, we can't love this way anymore. Like we need right. to show tough love. Like we can't, I know you, you feel like giving in or lying for them or leaving things out for them is showing them love or kind of not even confronting them on their problems it's is showing easier them love. That way. Mm-hmm. It's easier. Right. Exactly. It's a yeah, mm-hmm. less response effort. But it's not it's it's not good for the long term relationship and the long term health of it all because we have to show we need more like tough love in my family, I feel like, because there's just a lot of like that's just the way it is. And, you know, we all, yeah, we all had these tough upbringings. So, you know, statistically he was going to end up a drug addict. So what do you expect? Right. Kind of type of thing. So, but it's like, no, we can't love these ways anymore. We need to, we need to find different ways to show love. Um, and it may not, it may feel so foreign that it doesn't feel like a love to us because that's uh-huh. not exactly. the way we are, are raised. So that's a really um, good point. Yeah. No, for sure. So what is your experience with narcissists? Like, I, I mean, you mentioned your son, but I believe your ex-husband was a narcissist as well, right? So mm-hmm. what is your experience there between both relationships or even other relationships? And like, what made you want to start doing this? And how did you get out of it? <laughs> All of that stuff. Okay. So first of all, that was <laughs> fun. Right. That was like said. a million questions. They all go together. <laughs> he was a narcissist. He still is. Oh, Um, I'm sorry. Not was, is. (laughs) No, yeah, no worries. Um, Okay, so I grew up in a home where this was exposed to me, right? Narcissistic behavior, narcissistic personality. I think, I don't think I know, like we've all experienced on some level narcissists in our family, even one, at least one. So I grew up in this home where there was emotional abuse and there was all of this um, toxic behavior. And then- like I was saying, like, I didn't know that that wasn't normal. I thought that was the way it is. So when I got yep, married right. at a very young age, I was 21. And when my ex would do all of these behaviors, I would make excuses and go, oh, well, he had a bad day or, oh, he didn't make money or, oh, blah, 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 blah. That's just how it is. It's normal, right? Dads get mad. Men get mad. They storm right. off. They slam doors. That's because that's what I saw. So then when it got really, really crazy was 2008. I'll give the bullet points because it's a long story. But my then husband had attempted suicide with our 14-year-old daughter in the next room. And that was the day that I told him I'm – can we curse? 
Oh, yep, fuck yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm fucking done. I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. And I told him I wanted a divorce. So also what played into this was a lot of uh, drug use that he was dabbling in um, a cocktail of uh, self-medicating pills. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Right. If, even if right. I told you, I, would, I don't know I'm lying. So there was all of that. And then I told him that day, like, I'm done. I want a divorce. And then he had attempted suicide, like I said, with our 14-year-old daughter in the next room. Well, that was such a pivotal moment in our lives. It was the biggest traumatic event that I had ever been through. And I was like, okay, well, I have to leave. But Mm -hmm. what happens? I have a 14-year-old and a 13-year-old. And they're devastated. They've been through a huge trauma. And they're like, mom, please don't leave dad. So I stayed for another two and a half years. Right. So when the two and a half years came, that was 2011, I left and I moved from South Florida to here, North Carolina with nothing but a futon couch and an air mattress. Because again, I was like, I'm out of here. This mm-hmm. is fucking crazy yeah. town. I can't take it yep. anymore. And I didn't care that I didn't have anything. People were like, well, if you divorce him, you get have to, I don't want shit. I'm leaving. Right. I'm out of mm-hmm. here. So I came here. And we were here about two and a half months. And then the hoovering started going back to the narcissist language, hoovering. He started to come back around and he, he got to our daughter first because he knows anything with my kids, it's fair game. I'm, I'm yeah. in because they're my children. Right. So he started with her first manipulating her and painting this picture of perfection. If you and mom come back, this is X, Y, and Z what's going to happen, or this is not what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm, like I'll be good mm-hmm. and all the promises, all the empty right. lies. Yep. So I, at that time, had been financially on my own for the first time in my since I was 19. Mm-hmm. So I fell for it and I went back to Florida. So right. I packed up oh, everything wow. here in North Carolina. I went back to Florida and everybody knows how the whole let's get back together scenario works. I was there right. five minutes and I was like, what did I do? <laughs> Holy right. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so sure. I had to start all over again. So that took about five, five months or eight, I think eight months. Um, and then I did it all again and came back here and that was 2012. And I've been here and no contact and abuse-free for 10 years now. So oh, that's amazing. how I ended up here and out of the situation he didn't he didn't try to well he did but i didn't accept it he he had a health thing show up and he called me from the hospital well mm-hmm. the second time around i was like i'm not even answering the phone like this right. i'm not doing that so i didn't answer the phone and come to find out he had some kind of health thing and he for whatever reason he was called probably to blame me <laughs> It was right, my exactly. fault that he was in the hospital. You um, left me, so I'm really dying this time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so yeah. So I've been here ten years, and then in 2013 is where I met. It was when I met my husband. Now, but we didn't Aww. get together until 2015. Oh yeah. wow! Right. Nice, nice and slow. Um, yeah. You had yeah. mentioned that he, you know, attempted to commit suicide. Now. My question is, do you think he was really trying to commit suicide or was it like an attention-seeking Attention-seeking, totally. Okay. Right. Yeah. And isn't it crazy? I feel like with narcissists, I think it's the empty promises and the empty – like they say one thing, but it never happens. So eventually you realize, okay, like – they're not really going to do it. Cause I know like with my ex that I was with, that was a narcissist. He would always like threaten to get me kidnapped and like send me to Mexico. 
And like right before, yeah, like literally, it's like, I'm going to get you kidnapped and I'm going to fucking send you to Mexico and like, you're going to be stuck there and then I'm going to have you forever. So like towards the end of our relationship, I was like, fucking do it. I literally was like, do it. I was like, like, here's my address. I sent him, I was like, have a picture of my driver's license. Fucking do it. Right. It never happened. I'm still here. I'm fine. (laughs) I feel like you just start not getting scared because you're just like. such a great point, Ashley. That is so, I'm so glad because. Mm -hmm. You're right. When we mm-hmm. stand up, all they are are bullies. That's mm-hmm. all they are. Okay. Yeah. They're weak little bullies. If you look up the behavior of a bully, bullies only bully people they can bully. They right. don't bully people they can't bully. So right. when you stand up to them and you're like, bring it on, fucking do it. That's yeah. when they back down. Yeah. Because now them. you're standing in your power and you're standing up to them and you're showing them, I'm not fucking scared of you. Right. right. And that's what they depend on is you scared of them. And when you don't do that anymore, they lose power and they move on to somebody else that they can gain or have power over. That's such a great point because that was the day that I was like, I'm done. I'm over. And so he had it up it by attempting suicide. Extinction Which is what burst. we call, I was just going to say, we call that an <laughs> extinction verse because you basically put that behavior on no, like we're not doing that anymore. And he was like, okay, if I take it to this next level, I'll get that attention. Cause like, obviously your mm-hmm. daughter's there, you, he might die in your house. Like you have right. to like intervene in some way to keep the safety of the households intact. Yep. So that's so, that's so crazy. It's yeah. Just crazy. yeah. I'll never forget uh, with my my toxic ex, um, he fainted and went, called the uh, ambulance and it was oh a whole ordeal. Like, yeah, he was going to die. And I just remember calling his dad and his dad was like, how much was the ambulance bill? You called the ambulance? Like, oh <laughs> like my the, God. Dad, the, the dad knew. The dad at that point pretty much, he kicked him out the house because of his behaviors and you right. know, he was done. He was done having it. So it's so funny because I was like, oh, my God, like he's in the hospital right now. Like he, I you know, he fainted. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on, but we're in the hospital right now. And the dad was just right. worried about the bill because he knew <laughs> that this was a stunt yeah. that his son has pulled before. And it was right. And it was after me breaking up with him at that point. We had a right. huge fight the night before um, we were out with friends and he was uh, he was just acting his normal crazy self and kicked him out. I didn't want anything to do with him. And mm-hmm. yeah, he had to, he had to go to that next level to get me back, get my attention back. And it worked because I, you know, was naive, but yeah, it's just crazy to see that they do all have these similarities where they just try to up, up the empty to get whatever out of you just to, to see yeah. what's going to work. Cause I'm going to lose this person. Right. So narcissistic yeah. stunt. This is what yes, the really. name. We need to add that to the vocabulary. Yes, <laughs> yes. exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it is interesting to see that extinction truly works. Like when you truly place it on what we call extinction, and you're truly like, I'm done. Because that happened with my ex and my mother, where when I was like, absolutely not. Like they trickled on to like the there are other people, and there's been no contact right. ever since, and no one's bothered me. Um, right. Which in our field, extinction is kind of a controversial topic at the moment. But in this case, I think it's completely um, appropriate because without it, that, that person's going to continue to just abuse you. And it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's the replacement behavior for attempting suicide? I mean, I, I guess right. like, getting, yeah, <laughs> what is the replacement behavior for that? Um, so for yeah, for sure. It's you, you have to kind of nip it in the bud and to save yourself. 
Right. So I know you said that your your kids kind of, you know, they were modeled this relationship. And I think you said that your son is a, is a narcissist. Is that right? Yes. So mm-hmm. what do you do as a mother to help him? Right. And do you are you hopeful that he can change or, you know, how does that affect you as a mother? It, well, acceptance is key. So um, I'm sure you guys know the map of consciousness by Dr. David Hawkins and the the levels of emotion that we go through. So um, I've gotten to a place where I'm accepting of him and it is what it is. Right. And he is who he is. Mm-hmm. And as a mom, I still, I've managed to have a relationship with him, which is important to me because he's my kid. Of course. But also not be victimized by his narcissistic behavior. Right. Right. So there's boundaries in place. He knows what he can ask me or get away with, and he knows what not to. And I share this with women because there's a lot of women out there who have adult narcissistic um, children and they want to have a relationship with them. And I tell them, you can have that. It, it really is just dependent on your energy and how you see the whole situation. Right. So it, there is going to be for me, there's an acceptance of like, I'm not going to have a normal relationship, mother-son relationship with my son. That's never going to happen, right? Um, there's been many times that I've gone down to Florida and he promised he was going to see me and I never saw him. I didn't get upset because I know that's just who he is, right? So I go down to Florida thinking I might see him and I might not. I don't know. There's no expectation, right? There's no attachment. So it is possible to have relationships with these types of personalities as children, being a parent, it, it really comes to like accepting who they are for who they are and not trying to change them, not trying to manipulate them to have a relationship the way I want, the parent wants to have a relationship, right? Because then that's easy to go into victim energy and be like, well, I had kids to have this, you know, what about my grandkids? Oh, and that's a whole other topic. Um, But when you can put yourself into accepting your child for who they are and not blaming yourself or being ashamed, it is what it is, then you can have a relationship with a child who has the same traits as, as, as the narcissist. Right. And um, I actually never heard of the maps of consciousness. If you can. Yeah, me either. Ex- yeah. Explain oh. To what- oh, okay. Okay. So, so yeah, it's called the map of consciousness and it's by, it was created by Dr. David Hawkins. And okay. basically what it is, is he did it through muscle testing mm-hmm. and he, and he logged our emotions through mus- muscle testing. So shame and guilt are all the way at the bottom of this map. And what he's saying is it's in his book called Power Versus Force. And what he's saying is those are the two lowest emotions that we carry as humans. And he logged them in numbers. So shame is a 20. He logged as a 20. Um, guilt is a 30. And then you once you let go of these emotions that you're attached to, like, so for example, for my son, if I feel guilty, which guilt parenting, which been there, done that. But when you let go of that, you naturally rise up into the higher emotions like love, peace, joy, and enlightenment is at the very, very top. And that's, he logged that at 700 to a thousand. And that's like the highest consciousness that we can have is enlightenment, which they say is impossible. 
That reminds me of Ma- Maslow's, his hierarchy. It is Have similar, you- yes. Okay, because mm-hmm. his his uh, top is is like enlightenment. is It's the same thing. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. interesting. Um, I think it's important to like, and also there's something called acceptance and commitment therapy that just is related to ABA. It's kind of like a subcategory, um, mm-hmm. but it has a, a lot to do with kind of accepting things for what it is, mm-hmm. and how how can you you know, what kind of, what are your behaviors and how can that align with that acceptance? Um, because if I'm going to accept you for who you are, I'm not going to try to continue to change your behavior. Right. Um, and that's right, really, right. That's, yeah, it's really important to understand when dealing with narcissists because I, I'm like the, I want to fix people. That's kind of been like my thing since a little girl. Um, so with my relationship with my ex, I was not accepting his behavior and I was trying to change him. I was like, well, if I do this, if I do this, if I t- if I go to um, – because he also had a drug problem, which I feel like is there, there's a very high correlation with um, narcissistic mm-hmm. drugs is yep. in my experience at least. Or alcohol, uh, yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he had a he had a drug problem. So I would go to um, whatever NA with him. I would try to t- make sure he went to rehab. Um, right. I would make sure he would eat, make sure he's eating because obviously when he starts gaining weight, I know he's not on the drugs. So all these things, I try to ch- modify his behavior, what his favorite foods were. So I made sure there was cooked and all these things. But I, I wasn't accepting it and I was trying to change him and it was just digging me deeper in a hole. Um, so I think it's really important to understand that. And also it's important when you have people in your life that you you don't really want to completely cut off like your children because the, I mean, that's your, that's your child. And I, me, I mean, I, I know like you, Ashley, your mother, you completely cut off, but mm-hmm. would you say that's the best option for people to completely cut like moms, brothers, nephew and nieces, or what would your advice be to people that have like, you know, relationships they want to keep, but they know it's not, it's not healthy for them. I would say sometimes the healthiest relationship with somebody like that is no contact to have no contact. So I view my relationship with my ex-husband as healed. And that is because I've done the healing, but also I have no contact with him. And, and sometimes that's the only option to have, whether that be a parent or sibling or whatever, there's other family members that I've cut off too, because it's healthy for me not to be around and, and, and share my energy with these toxic people. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes it's the, it's the only option for your sanity, for your mental and emotional health. Well, I'm just thinking, cause like with my, with my mother, like cutting her off, I don't have an emotional attachment to her. Like I genuinely don't, but I have had to deal with like, oh, when I get married, like I'm not going to have a mother yeah. to like teach me how to be a wife or teach me how to be a mother. And like that gets me in these moments of like, I feel very territorial over children I don't even have like, <laughs> right. and things like that. But like, I genuinely am totally okay with not speaking to her, the person. It's more of like the mother figure I don't have because like my sister doesn't speak to her either, but she always tells me like, oh, I have you and I've always had you. I don't need anybody else, but I don't have someone above me. So like once you do decide to cut that person off and you realize it's like that's the best decision and you are okay with it, like what are the other steps to healing that? So two things came up for me, Ashley, when you were saying that. One is, is there's always somebody in your life who is willing to be that role model for you. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who's older, like Mm -hmm. a mother figure, 
right? It's just the energy of that person who love, who genuinely loves you and cares for you and can, and can give you advice. The other thing that came up for me for you is actually your mom is teaching you how to be a good wife <laughs> a good and mom. a mom. I guess a that non-example. is true. A non-example. <laughs> right. Don't do that shit. <laughs> You're <Yes>. good. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. That is true. Exactly. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. No, exactly. Like, so yeah, I don't, I don't speak to my dad and he's the narcissist in my, in my life. Uh, well, one of them. And I had to walk down, I had to walk down the aisle without him. Um, so I right. mean that it, it was difficult. Um, but it's like, What's what's better, me having my dad walking me down the aisle right. or me putting up with his shit daily? Right. So yeah. it's it's kind of like you got you have to weigh it out with the, the pros and cons of having that person in your life. So I think yeah, it's it is beneficial. And I I live in a city with I have no family here because I had to remove myself from my family because they're so toxic. And mm-hmm. every time I go back to my hometown, I'm like reminded on why I don't live there. Cause there's always some drama. There's always some, some type of toxic thing, something going on, cousins, siblings, uh, my stepmom, something. some, something going on that's reminding me like, okay, this is why I don't. Li-. And I feel, I do feel guilty for my younger siblings because they're, they have nothing to do with this and they're just kind of put in situation, but it's like, I have to protect my own, my own self and, you know, and my kid, my son, I have to be the best version for him. So all of those things, it's like, and you got to weigh out- him to that. Exactly. Right. You, you got to weigh out the pros and cons. So yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. not having a relationship is the best type of relationship. And I think attachment has a lot to do with everything that we're talking about because like for you, Alex, um, walking down the aisle without your dad, like there's this attachment that's been um, programmed into our mind that that that's the dream is yes, to have right. your dad walk you down the aisle. And, you know, we've seen it in yep. the Disney cartoons and the this and the that and it's everywhere. And like, and if you don't have that, it's this. It's, it's devastating. Missing. It's yep. right. It's not complete. It's not the perfect this. It's not, which all of that is bullshit. Yep. All of that is bullshit because yep. I got married in 2020 and my dad couldn't come because of COVID, right? So it's not like a relationship thing. It's just because of circumstances. And guess what? I had my best friend uh, since we Aww. were 12, 11 years old, walk me down the aisle. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And so my dad, he f- still feels guilty and all of that. And he apologized on like that in my mind. I'm going, it was perfect. Like I would right. actually Aww. wouldn't have yeah. it any other way. Yeah. So there's just this, this, this story that we've been fed, which is part of the conditioning from society that if it's not this way, it's not perfect. And it's not going to exactly. be your dream, which exactly. is BS. Yep. Right. E- exactly. Exactly. And w- what really kind of gave me like, you know, solace is like, you don't deserve to give me away. <laughs> like, right. what? like you don't right. even like you did not deserve that title. So why would I even feel? I mean, of course, it's just like, you know, you feel off because, you know, the wedding planner is like, OK, where's your dad? Like, this is his role. But it's but it's like, yeah, if you're saying like we don't have to live up to societal standards, like all we have to do is live up to what our ha- what's going to feed our happiness and what's going right. to it's going to feed our energy so that's our that should be our standard not society's what's perfect for me is different for what's perfect exactly. for you and exactly. what's perfect for you is different what's perfect for Ashley we all yep, have our own right. perfect 
Yep. Right. Exactly. So there's, there's also that there's also, none of us are the same. None of us have the same ideas or the same dreams. Or we all have our own individuality in what we want for ourselves and our weddings and this and that. And, you know, for me, that was perfect for somebody else. Maybe, you know, their brother or somebody else would have been perfect, but it's all beautiful because that was your perfectness. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I guess this could kind of go into like, because we're talking about getting out of that relationship and cutting people off, just like main tips or advice that you give to someone who's starting to escape that relationship. Like, what do you start? Where do you start? Is it a lot of like preparation or is it kind of like fight or flight type of thing? Is it different for every situation? So just, I guess, those steps. So are you talking about somebody who's newly out of the relationship? Or like someone trying to get out. Or even try to like maintain it, like because I know, like right, you, said, you get out, you get out, and then you come back, and it's kind of like a on mm-hmm. and off type of thing. Like, how do you maintain that? I'm done with this stage. Each individual has to be ready. So we all have our own paths. We all have our own journeys. So, so like I was saying to both of you, that my path was I was ready to get out. I moved three states away and right. still went back. Right, so right. that was my journey. That was my path. And some people could look at it and go, oh, wow, you wasted all that money. Eight months, you went back. Wow, what a waste. Right. I look at it as I needed that to solidify. 100% exactly, solidify, it's over. There's no going back. This is a done deal. I need to move on with my life. Yeah, but if right. I didn't have that, maybe there would still be or for years after that, still a thought running in my head, like, I didn't give it my all. I should have tried. He did come back. Maybe blah, 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 blah. So everybody has their own journey and their own process of the breakup. And I always say to women, like, you have to be ready for this level of healing when they come to me, right? Because I'm, I'm, we're going to go right in and we're going to like peel shed and heal this shit. So there has to be a level of, re- okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. Not, I think I'm ready. I'm almost ready. Like right at the finish line, I'm ready or starting line to go. So it depends on every individual. And there's no shame and there's no blame. If somebody comes and they say, I'm ready, and then they fall back, that's their journey. That's their path. That's the story that they're creating. It's, it's totally okay. You will come to a time when you're ready. Because there's only, you know, like the saying goes, there's only so much you can back, you know, an animal into the corner before they strike at you. There's only so much a person can take before they, and it's just each individual has their own level of how much they can take before they're like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's something that we call uh, habituation in ABA. Basically it's, you get habituated to the situation, like almost desensitized. So mm-hmm. if you if you take a, one hit, if some, you get a slap, then you get two slaps. All right, you get three slaps. Okay, it's like you're getting used to it. So sometimes right. it you know they, it really builds on top of each other until you finally reach that breaking point because you right. kind of were desensitized to the situation. So it, it definitely right. does depend on how much that person can take and it, and it depends on their learning history. Um, right. And it does take um, what we call a response effort to get out of that relationship because you have to break your whole routine. Like 
your financials are tied in with this person, your mm-hmm. your living situation, um, the way the kids are raised, their school, school district, their friends, everything. There's so many things that you have to your kind of disrupt. Your entire world. Yes. Your entire world. Yeah. And that what we know about human behavior is we like to do what's easiest. Even if it's detrimental in the long term, we do Absolutely. what's easiest because we don't want to um, – put that effort in for change, even though it may be, it's hard to see the long term. A lot of us, we just hear like the short term gratification, the instant gratification, and it's just easier, but it does take a lot of courage and it takes a lot of effort. But um, as you, as we all can testify, it's worth it. Uh, it's oh, worth 100%. it to, to make those changes. Yeah. Yeah. That's- yeah. We get comfortable in our dysfunction. Yes, we we right. start to acclimate to like the fucked up behavior because yep. in these in these relationships, I just want to preface this for your audience is that it doesn't come on like this strong in the beginning. There's always this right. yes. this um, honeymoon phase. There's always this charismatic mm-hmm. and charming behavior in the beginning. I always yep. say like nobody's going to hold up a um, a cardboard box and say, I'm a fucking asshole, date me, or I'm a, right. I'm a crazy bitch, come date me. Like, I'm going to ruin your world, come date me. No, they right. always show up with this mask on of how loving they are and how much they listen to you and how much they are interested in you. And then slowly and steadily, the toxic behavior starts to take its form in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And then before yes. you know it, you look back and you're like, what, what? Who am I? What is going exactly. on? So exactly, exactly, yeah. and we know like re- reinforcement is basically is what's maintaining us to do something. It's it's what we call it an ABA, mm-hmm. and we know uh, intermittent reinforcement. So things that we get like every once in a while, every sometimes he's going to be nice. Sometimes I'm going to get flowers. Once every three months, we're going to go on a date, and it's amazing. Um, Every once in, it's kind of like the casino, like the slot machine. You keep putting coins in the slot machine because maybe eventually wishing you'll and hoping. get that. Yeah, yeah, wishing and hoping. So that is kind of um, why people may stay in these relationships because the reinforcement is so variable. It's like, I think maybe, you know, next week's going to be a good week and maybe it is. And then five weeks pass and then it's a good week. So you're, you're getting something every once in a while. And I, that is what keeps us in these relationships. Cause you have one good day and you're like, yeah. Oh, I see the good side. He is a good person. Oh, that is a good person. So it's kind of like why we stay in these relationships because even though a lot of it is punishing mo- most of the time it's a punishment but eventually you may get one good day and that is like you're hopeful like okay like he's gonna change he's gonna go to therapy or whatever promises he tells us it's like yeah wishing and hoping so yeah and yeah definitely i used to say about my ex when he's good he's really good but when he's bad he's really bad and i was always hoping and wishing and praying for the good days that when he comes home from work and there was certain things that would happen in his day that he would have a good day. And I'd be like on a high and, oh, this is great. And we're going to go out to dinner and da, 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 da. But then when they're and bad out of my control, like if something happened to him at work or whatever that was bad, I and the kids would would be punished for, you know, yep. that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Are narcissists, I think you mentioned this in your live with Alex, that they're not able to love, but I just wanted to ask you again because I can't really remember because I'm, I feel like that with my mother where I feel like I have lost, I don't have that connection is because like, I don't feel like she loves me. So like, why would I love her? And that natural like instinct just is not there. 
Um, but then I'm wondering as like a mother to a child, it's like, I can't imagine not loving your child, but then I see my mother not love her children. So I'm like, okay, it's obviously like, it's like, there's an ability there, but like, would you say that they're unable to feel emotion? Cause I even think that back with like the relationship I was in, I'm like, dang, I never really feel like looking back. I ever had a moment with that guy that I felt there was any pure emotion coming from him whatsoever. It was always kind right. of like, mo- like he would fake, mo- like I do what I was doing or like reputate behaviors and emotions from other people. But I don't know if that's more of like a sociopathic thing or if they're like <laughs> one in the same. I'm serious. Right. Like I think that, he could no, be totally. a sociopath too. That's a whole totally. other episode. But that um, is. even with <laughs> totally. my mother too, like I never really seen my mother cry. And it's like, that's weird. And we were homeless at one point. And I remember walking in. And then after I came into the room, we were getting like evicted. She started to cry. But like, I was old. I was 19. There was no tears. There was it was all attention. And it's like, I never really even saw emotion from her that was genuine either, unless it was somebody calling her out on her fake shit. That was pure anger. Yeah, it's defensive. yeah, like pure yeah. anger and defensiveness. So yeah, like yep. do they have the ability to feel emotion, or are we even able to like say emotion? So? <laughs> so yes and yeah. no. So yes and no. So yes, they're able to feel emotions for themselves, right? right? So right. like you just said, when somebody called her out, she got pissed off, which is right an emotion, right? And we know that that's a layer over hurt. But for other people, no, they are not capable of loving, genuinely loving. So I did a video. uh, I was just thinking I need to do this video again. What does I love you mean from a narcissist? Because that's such an interesting question. Well, what it means is I love what you do for me. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for loving me. Yeah. Thank you for loving me. Yep. I love that you, for example, when I come home, you have this amazing meal ready for me. I love you for that. That meal you made me. Right. Mm -hmm. I love how Mm -hmm. you make me feel. I love, Mm -hmm. so for a lot of narcissistic men, I love how good you look um, with me, right? Right. Because you're fabulous. You're beautiful. You're this. You're charming. Everybody loves you. You're so sweet. I love that. I love that goddess you give me. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, I love, basically in a nutshell, it's, I love what you do for me. So there's not a genuine, I love you because you are whatever it is, right? All of the things about you. It's, it always comes back to the narcissist. I love you because of what you do for me, what you show me, whatever. Yeah. So, so yes and no to the question. That's, that's a great, that's a great answer. Um, it just makes me think too, cause I'm kind of a people pleaser. I, I like to please people. I like to make people happy. I was such an easy target for this guy because I loved doing those things um, for him. So it was like, oh, this girl, she packs my lunch. She has dinner ready. She's whatever he wanted. I did it. So I was just an easy target. And I think it's a a great point to people listening. Like if you are a people pleaser, you know, just be be wary that you are an easy target because they're going to love those things that you do for them. So that's such a great answer. Definitely. That's such a great point, Alex. There's definitely a certain energy in people that narcissists seek out. And then there's this dance because the the energy that you are, I call it mother energy and it's everything you describe. She has a savior side of her. She wants to rescue. She's very nurturing and caretaking. 
She is a people pleaser. And so there's, there's a give and take with both of the energies and there's a dance that they go through in this relationship, right? So one's a giver, one's a taker. Then they seek out those types of people purposely. And your energy and my energy and our energy, we seek out somebody that we can save, rescue, take care of. So it goes both ways. Yeah, exactly. And I think it just all comes down to the way we were raised. And it's kind of like, am I going to be like, my mom or am I going to be like my dad? And exactly. it's like, which, right. which one am I going to go to? And yeah, and my brother's like my dad and I'm like my mom. So it's like, we definitely, we came from the the same upbringing, but we kind of chose the, what we wanted to, which way we wanted to go. And they're both could be dangerous because I was, yeah. you know, I Absolutely. was not, yeah, I was in a dangerous situation with this guy. I mean, he had put my life at risk many times with his his tantrum-like behaviors, tantrums in the cars, trying to take away mm-hmm. the steering wheel while we're driving, like mm-hmm. very, right. very dangerous situation, situations. And it's it's like you just have to have a lot of self-awareness and it does take a lot of healing to get out of those relationships and, and understand like this is not healthy, this is not a relationship and I need to get right. the fuck out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what exactly are the services that you offer? Where can people find you? Do you have any like seminars coming up? I want to join if you do. Like yes. where can we find more of you? <laughs> okay. So they can you can find me at trueloveaftertoxiclove.com. Trueloveaftertoxiclove.com because that's my whole Open the show notes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And so I work with women either one-on-one private coaching. I do group coaching. Um, right now I have a, it's an online support group. It's for the woman who needs that support to be surrounded by other women and be guided through in this group. So that's mainly for the woman who's either in the beginning of her healing or she's just now starting her healing journey. That would be that group. And I'm about to launch my nine month irresistible woman group. And that's for the woman who, yeah, she's been through the healing, but she keeps attracting narcissistic relationships. So it's like, she's frustrated because she's like, "Ah, I've done the self-love. I've done the forgiveness. Like what WTF? Those are the three ways that I work with women. And then also I do have something going up on. So last week or two weeks ago, I did a triggers class. Never did it before. I got a nudge to do a triggers class. So I taught in this two hour masterclass, how to release and heal your triggers it was such a Ooh. huge success. I didn't I even join that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I didn't even expect it to happen the way it did. So I was like, "Ooh, how can I make this even better?" So um, April sixteenth, I'm doing it again, which is full moon energy, releasing Ooh. energy. I'm doing the class again um, at the same price that I did it before. It's twenty five dollars, and it's a two hour masterclass. And so not only do you Sign go through. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> not only do you go through the process of healing your triggers, but I also give you the questions in a PDF that you can keep and use forever, use it on your oh, clients or whatever. I yeah. Love, and then I love that. we do a live meditation during the class and then you get the meditation separate that you can use and the meditation is super powerful. Oh, I love awesome. that. Yeah. In ABA, we are, are big on like triggers or antecedents, we call it, right. things that kind of affect what happens before we kind of 
respond. So that the stimulus, like what is the stimulus and how do you respond? Because right. we understand like there's a little space between stimulus and response. And that little space is kind of your own agency of how are you going to react? Are you going to have this super like, are you going to be defensive? Are you going to be projecting? Or are you going to be calm and like, okay, this person is, you know, that's my trigger, but I'm not going to react in this way that's, you know, inappropriate. So I, I right, love that. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So we we can find those um, on your website to, to sign up. Yes, true love okay. after toxic love. Yeah, well, get in touch with me, and then I can send you the link. The link for the triggers class is not on there, but yeah, that's a good idea. I should do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll definitely promote it too. I think it's great for people to understand what their triggers are because that's it's right. huge. And then also on Instagram, what's your handle? Life after narcissism underscore one one one. I think <laughs> <laughs> we'll look for it and we can, we'll tag. Yeah. Yes. We'll make sure you, we'll um, put you on Instagram, whatever other social media, if you're, you know, people reach out to you all these different ways, but okay. I think for sure your website, will have it on there so they Perfect. can reach out to you. Um, Cause I think what you're doing is so great. And I wish my mom could have had someone like you or, you know, so many right. people in my life. I wish I could have had someone like you yes. um, before <laughs> I had to do this on my own, which is like, okay, it's still hard. It's, it's still work. Mm-hmm. Um, because right. yeah, you, yeah, you do tend to still get that same energy. Like you are still kind of attracting that energy just cause even if you are healed, like you said, it is very common to still, cause th- that is the person I am. And it's just, um, so I think it's definitely great the work that you're doing and it should be, it should be like screamed. Everybody should know that there's someone like you out there. Cause I had no idea until I met you that there's someone like you exist. So that's <laughs> awesome. Wow. Well, good. Yeah. I'm glad we met. And yes, yeah. there's me and many others who do the same uh, type of work that I do. You know, as you know, Alex, it, we all just do it in our own fashion, in our own way. Yes. And yes. Um, I've learned to just be me and it resonates. So yeah, there's Absolutely. a lot of other coaches that do what I do. Yeah. Like, I think the yeah the way it's marketed though, I haven't seen like, there's like therapy, self-help, life coaches, but the your like little niche is so I think it's so unique and yeah definitely needed so it's awesome yes thank you alrighty so we are gonna do the task analysis breakdown today we are doing task list B five define and provide examples of schedule and reinforcement so this kind of goes hand in hand with our conversation with Denise, because we did talk about reinforcement and intermittent reinforcement and kind of uh, what maintains us in these toxic relationships. So in this breakdown, we're going to give you a scenario and you are going to have to guess what type of reinforcement schedule is occurring. Um, so go ahead and Ashley, you can do the scenario. Alrighty. So the scenario is when you call your girlfriend, she sometimes answers immediately and other times she doesn't answer. And you have to call several times before she picks up. What type of reinforcement schedule is this? 10 seconds to think about it. So sometimes she answers immediately. Sometimes it takes several times before she picks up. So the answer is intermittent reinforcement. The ratio just depends. So let's say it takes 10 calls one time and then... 20 Mm -hmm. calls the next time and then 10 calls again, like whatever that average would be like 15. It could be like a variable ratio, ratio 15. It just depends on how many times you call um, and what that average would be. So this would be a variable ratio intermittent 
reinforcement schedule. Right. So sometimes you're getting reinforced right away with her answering and sometimes you're not. That's another way to remember it too. Yeah. And that was something too we talked about um, with intermittent reinforcement, just like the casino, the Las Vegas slot machine. It's wishing and hoping, um, which is the hardest um, reinforcement to place on extinction. So you you will keep trying because sometimes you get that answer. So that is the hardest um, type of reinforcement schedule that is going to be extinguished. Most resistant to ex- to extinction is the terminology. Right. Okay, that was the task analysis breakdown. That was task list B5. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please subscribe on wherever you're listening to and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at ABA on a pod. And my personal Instagram is at Objective Outcomes. And mine is Behavior with Ash. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye.